Hello and welcome to the The Sim D Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Dusenberry Jr. Follow me on Twitter at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Subscribe and rate to the podcast. Five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend. Available at Apple, The Rogan One, Google, all major podcasts and platforms. Search for The Sam D Podcast. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Musical production done by May First Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May First Music. I'm going to begin today's pod by reading. And after you hear me read this, you might understand why what happened yesterday happened. Since 2016, the Seahawks have drafted 52 guys. 53-man roster. Since 2016, the Seahawks have drafted 52 guys. Of those 52, three have made the Pro Bowl. Three out of 52 potential draft picks have made the Pro Bowl. Out of those three, one of those three was a punter. (laughs) Oh... Three out of 52, and one of those three don't even really count because it's a butter. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And even if you look at the roster, they have the fourth best roster in their own division. It's only a four-team division. <laughs> four out of four ain't cutting it, Jack. So now we got a new rusty. Is Russell Wilson the new Russie? Player empowerment? Or is it wifey empowerment? I don't know. Russell has done a lot of things to avoid certain damages in his career on and off the field. You remember the first wife, right? (laughs) Now he's getting out of Seattle when it's clear that the ship be sinking, bruh. How would you like to wake up and be a Seattle Seahawks fan this morning? You had Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and a team that you could fool yourself into thinking, if things break the right way, we might have a chance. You wake up today knowing full well that you in tank mode. <laughs> You're in full-on tank mode, and that's why fandom... Oh, you didn't say it with me? All right, all right, all right. I, th- I thought he was going to fish it. I thought it was going to be like a call and response. I think I've, I've been banging this, this drum since I started this pod in 2016. When I say fandom, you should be able to finish it and say, oh, you still didn't do it. All right. So, all right, we'll, we'll do it together. But then after this, like, anytime I say fandom is a, you should be able to finish with, oh, you still didn't. I thought maybe you would have caught it. All right. So, fandom it's a mental illness. All right, so now that we got that clear, like, from here on out, if I just say fandom, it's going to be like a call and response. It's like when I say fandom, you say, oh, you still didn't. All right. All right, so I'll just continue to say the full thing, even though y'all know. 
because y'all been listening for a minute now. Y'all should kind of, all right, fine. Rusty's gone. Rusty's gone out of Seattle. Rusty is on his way to Denver. So he leaves the Pacific Northwest for the Northwest. All right. And now he's got Jerry Judy. Is Jerry Judy a better DK Metcalf? Like, Jerry Judy's low-key been putting up really good numbers on the low, and that's catching passes from Teddy B and Drew Locke and whoever else they had even before that. Like, yeah, Brock Osweiler? Was, was Osweiler still around when, when Judy pulled up? I don't know. Simeon? Was Simeon still? I don't know. Anyway, Jerry Judy has been stealthily a solid receiver, even though he's had trash QBs throughout his short tenure in the league. Now you give him Russell, and we still think Russell's, he's not top five, right? So what, top 10? You're giving Jerry Judy, uh, who they got, Cortland Sutton. Um, who else is out there? They have some running backs, Williams. I mean, they, they, got some, they got some pieces. They had to flip. They had to flip Noah Fant in the deal, right? So they lost Noah Fant in the deal. But, I mean, they could just go draft a tight end. So, you know, if you're the Broncos, and look, I saw the Broncos twice this year in person or this past season in person, and, yeah, it's glaring that they need that they needed a QB, but it's also glaring that they needed more weapons. Um, the offense was very stagnant at times, and you can chalk most of, that up, most of that up to QB play, but I didn't think it was all about just the fact that they had Teddy B and uh, Drew Locke back there. So this is a win for the Broncos, obviously, but here's my thing. If you're the Broncos, is this a play to actually win, or is this a play for them to sell this team? Because that's more of what it is to me, because they can't actually think this now puts them in, in the mix to win the AFC West. Now when you got the Chargers, Mahomes, and even the Raiders to a lesser degree, like you got three teams that have arguably better rosters than you in front of you. I mean, maybe the Raiders you could debate, but in regards to just top to bottom, I don't know how if you're Denver, you feel this is a win-now move. It's an upgrade for sure, like without a doubt. Like, shit, that's it. at this bare minimum, it's an upgrade. But this move to me is more off the field than on the field. You could make the argument that if Russi is average to what he is now, because, again, this is not peak Russi, right? Like, that was a few years ago. Like, that's, that's kind of – Russi's on the decline because he's not as athletic. He's a little bit more husky. He doesn't run as much as he used to. Like, he used to be on that Kyle Murray, I'm very selective when I run, but I'm dangerous when I run. Now he's just tap dancing in the pocket or just backpedaling and he runs himself into a lot of sacks as he's gotten older. So you're not even getting peak Rusty anymore. Be that as it may, if he's just average to what he was last year, that's going to be the best quarterback in Broncos history since Elway. Since Elway. And I know you're going to give me Peyton Manning and all of that, but he really just had one good year, and if you look at the numbers, they're really kind of truncated. I mean, they won a Super Bowl when he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. If you're talking about Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, the name, the name was on the back of the jersey, but you didn't get peak Peyton Manning. You got one good Peyton Manning year, and he didn't even win the chip that year. 
they won the chip when it was just basically this defense is going to be the real orange crush, like how they tried to prophesize in the 80s. The real orange crush defense was what you saw when they finally did get that Super Bowl when they were defense first. So Russell Wilson becomes the heir apparent to John Elway, even though there's about a 15 to 20 year gap in between the last time Elway played and Russell Wilson actually suiting up to be a Bronco. If you want to play revisionist history, you could if you're the Denver Broncos. Because when you look at the fact that in 2012, they could have taken Russie back then. He was there when they picked in the second round. They took Brock Osweiler to be Peyton Manning's backup when Russie was still on the board. And he went later in the third round. So now you look at the fact that it's been 10 years since then. And now they're trading for a guy that they legitimately could have drafted and be trained up to be the heir apparent to Peyton. And they had to give up, what, two firsts, two seconds, uh, a whole shit ton of picks and some players just to get Russie in a fourth. He was right there on the board for you in 2012, yet John Elway, who was running that franchise, and if you listen to those who know, allegedly still is, Elected to take Bronx Outwiler because he looked the part. Tall, strong, alleged big arm, but he was a shit show as a quarterback. You had Russie chilling right there. So now, 10 years later, you got to pay up. You got to ante up to go fix the mistake you could have amended back in 2012. So if this move for the Broncos is more off the field than it is on, then what does this say for Seattle? Is this a on-the-field move or an off-the-field move? It's got to be off, right? Because they're definitely trying to cut and bail and tank. The era is over. I mean, the LOB, the Legion of Boom era was was over long ago, right? But now it's just that whole era. So now if you're Pete Carroll, is is it time? It's probably been time, and it seems like he's just been hanging on because of Russie, but now that Russie is gone and Bobby Wagner is gone and who knows what they're going to do with DK Metcalf and maybe even Tyler Lockett, who knows? Like, it's really a wrap, bruh. If I'm Pete Carroll, I'm an old-ass man that has a Super Bowl, should have won a second, that has a national championship, should have won a second. It's time. I walk away. There's nothing left. Remember he had people gassed of, oh, he brings this college enthusiasm and that's why the players, the players, that roster that they built in Seattle early on was stacked. I would come in there drinking green smoothies and doing yoga and shit and Pilates if I knew I had arguably one of the greatest defenses of all time and a young upstart QB and beast mode at running back. That should be enough to get a chip. And then they got one. And then they tricked off a second when they went away from the philosophy of what the team was originally built to be. So Pete Carroll's been looking shaky in the light ever since they kind of handed the keys to Russie and jettisoned all the important parts that got that whole thing rolling in the first place. Now that the cupboard is going to be officially bare, if I'm Pete Carroll, I take them green smoothies and I go to the crib. Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay. Was anyone surprised? 
I mean, this is it's kind of been a thing. Like you heard Denver, if if you listen to um, NFL Network, I think it was Rich Eisen was he came back from the combine, and again, you know, if you go to Indy for the combine, it's all the GMs, it's all the coaches, it's all the scouts, it's all the the people in the know allegedly. And Rich Eisen came out and was basically like, yo, dogs, all the talk at the Combine is how it's a done deal Aaron Rodgers to Denver. (laughs) Only for the Combine to be done. And within hours of the Combine being done, uh, here we go to Russell Wilson to Denver. (laughs) These people think they know. They think they know, but they don't know. I mean, Mans works for the NFL Network. If anyone's supposed to be plugged in, it should be someone who works for the damn Shield. And he's out here running his mouth about how, oh, it's pretty much a done deal. All the chatters about Aaron Rodgers to Denver. And then within 24 to 48 hours, Russie Wilson is on his way to Denver. And Aaron Rodgers is staying his ass in Green Bay. His immunized ass in Green Bay. So, anyway. I don't have much on this Aaron Rodgers thing because, I mean, it's kind of what we always have thought. Like, I think even Packers fans, and shout out to my guy Greg Larner, uh, I'll actually be on his show later on today. I'm sure we'll get into some of this stuff. Uh, I'll may, I always tweet out the link, but if you don't know, I go on ESPN Radio once a week, uh, usually Wednesday afternoons from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern, and uh, just talk about whatever's going on in the sports world. Usually heavily NBA-focused, but... We've gotten into some MLB, we've gotten into some NFL, uh, and anything else, college. So, you know, if you want to catch me on the actual radio airwaves, uh, follow the Twitter feed at the D T H E E S A M D. Greg Larner, Tennessee Chattanooga, ESPN Radio. Uh, catch me on there every Wednesday. But Greg's a, a, a Packers fan. He's been a longtime Packers fan, and, uh, you know, I've been texting him on the side like, yo, dog, what do you think? And He's never come to the conclusion that it was a, even a remote possibility that Aaron Rodgers was leaving. And he knows people out there, so I, I trust his word on it. And uh, true indeed, Aaron Rodgers did not go anywhere. And my thing is, Aaron Rodgers did the right thing because this will cement and protect his legacy. If Aaron Rodgers were truly to leave and go somewhere else, he would be scrutinized at a different level. In Green Bay, he'll always have the cloak of who he is that protects him. He'll always have the cloak of this is our guy, our franchise QB. He's been for been here forever. He's given us all these moments. He's given us a championship. He's been a multi-time MVP. He owns the Bears. He has destroyed the Lions. Like he has done everything he's supposed to do as the Green Bay Packer leader. But if he would have go somewhere else, if he would have went to Denver, or if he would have went to, let's say, Pittsburgh, and doesn't get a chip, that legacy gets eroded. That cloak that protects him and his legacy is gone the minute he leaves Green Bay. And we've seen over the last year and change, or basically since the pandemic, how sensitive Ann Rogers actually is. He really cares about the shit that y'all say and y'all think about him. He tries to play it off as though he's so, you know, nose up in the air and pinky on the wine glass up and all that stuff. But in in actuality, he's a sensitive dude. He could be a little cantankerous. 
And when you have someone like that, and you have a situation like Green Bay where you are protected, you have this cloak of legacy, this cloak of superiority because of what you have provided to that fan base, to that organization, you leave that, it's a wrap. You leave that, it's a wrap. You go to Pittsburgh with a team that some feel is just an Aaron Rodgers away from winning a Super Bowl and don't win the Super Bowl, oh, the shots are coming right at you. And you can't duck them. There's no cloak. The cloak is removed the minute he signs somewhere else. So I think it's a smart move for Aaron Rodgers to stay right where he's at because his legacy is protected. The Packers could go out here and spit the bit yet again, and it really won't matter because he'll always have the reasoning of, well, it's not Aaron's fault because Aaron is still Aaron. He's still MVP worthy. Look at the stats. Look at the numbers. Look how great he is. But if he were to go somewhere else, people could start to nitpick his deficiencies. And as great as he is, he does have deficiencies. They're just cloaked under the gaze of, he's Aaron Rodgers. It's Green Bay. Franchise QB. Hall of Fame. Arguably the greatest quarterback anyone's ever seen. Smart move, but not leaving a frozen tundra. Hey, do we know if Calvin Ridley placed a futures bet on Denver, like ASAP, or nah? Did, did he do another parlay, another eight-teamer, or another five-teamer, or another three-teamer? Calvin Ridley, who is still employed by the Atlanta Falcons, right? He's not a free agent, right? I think he's still employed by the Atlanta Falcons. Well, I guess getting suspended for a year, so I guess he's still on the contract. Calvin Ridley was caught out here uh, betting on games. He's a wide receiver that is employed by the NFL, and he placed a bet on NFL games. And that's a big no-no from a uh, union standpoint, from a player uh, employee standpoint, from just a sports. Like, that's one of the biggest no-nos in all of sports is players are not supposed to bet on games. Now, we all know <laughs> players and owners, and GMs, and scouts, and equipment guys, and towel boys, and whoever bet on the games. They just ain't do it like Calvin Ridley do it and actually have his own personal account tied to the betting app. So the long and the short of it is, basically, Calvin Ridley got caught out here doing three-team, five-team, and eight-team parlays that involved the Falcons winning, by the way. So at least he was riding with his mans in them. He didn't bet on his mans to lose. He was betting on his teams to win, his team to win. So he's out here placing parlays, and he got caught out there in Florida. And in Florida, there's only one app. There's only one app you could use. Now, the, the Seminole tribe in Florida was supposed to have a monopoly of sorts over sports gambling there's been a lot of the jurisdiction stuff in the courts about whether FanDuel, DraftKings, and every other app in the world can pull up now that Florida has legalized gambling. But as it stands right now, there's only one app in Florida you can use, and it's the Hard Rock Casino app. So Calvin Ridley wanted to place a bet so bad that he did it in his own personal account while he was out of state in Florida, and it got flagged by the NFL. 
the NFL has a security algorithm type thing set up where if a player makes a bet on any of these apps, now it's easier to track Florida because it's only one app, right? So if they were able to track Florida and Calvin Ridley used his own name and got flagged. And he did an investigation and they, they popped him on it. He was tweeting out that it was only 1500 and he's like, I don't know why people bugging over this 1500 That's cool, Calvin. But now that the NFL has done its investigation, funny how stuff gets leaking once they know they got you dead to rights. <laughs> once they got you dead to rights. It's funny how stuff magically starts leaking from legal documents. So anyway, now we know about his three teamers. Now we know about his five teamers and his eight team parlays. 18 parlays is pretty deep, bro. I, I don't know too many people that live and die for an eight-teamer. A three-teamer, sure. Five-teamer, I've done that, especially when you do the NBA, the Christmas games or the Kwanzaa Eve games. I'll be all over that pause. So, you know, I'm, I'm not mad at that. But when it comes to, man, an eight-teamer, dog, you, you living on a different type of edge. You living on a different type of edge that I just can't compete with. But here's where it gets shaking a light for me. This is a very hypocritical situation for the NFL. I know why they popped Ridley, right? He's a player. You can't bet on games, and you damn sure can't bet on games where your own team is involved in. Now, he gets to use the plausible deniability of, hey, man, I was on personal leave from the team, and maybe now we got some sort of inkling as to what that personal leave was when he just upped and bounced. Like, didn't they go to London and man's just disappeared? And then they had to come back and say, yeah, he's just taking a leave of absence. Like, he's just going to take a break away from football. And then man's didn't play for the rest of the season. Was this investigation going on during this time? Is this the reason why man's had to walk away and take a leave of absence? I don't know. I don't know the timeline. I'm just giving you maybe some insight as to what may or may not have happened. But here's the hypocrisy of the NFL. So like I mentioned, Calvin really got popped on the Hard Rock app, right? Hard Rock is a big deal in Florida, specifically Miami, because the Miami Dolphins Stadium is named, the naming rights are the Hard Rock. So the Hard Rock Casino and Hotel are sponsoring the Miami Dolphins football stadium. They have the naming rights. Who owns the Miami Dolphins? That's Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross is an investor in the Action Network, a betting platform. Stephen Ross also, allegedly, according to Brian Flores' soon-to-be class action lawsuit, alleged that Ross offered Flores 100 k per loss to tank games. Now, that is supposed to be under investigation. That is a very serious charge because you have an owner who is part investor of his own betting app, part of a league that draws tremendous revenue from multiple betting apps, and he's out here offering 100K, essentially a bribe, for his then head coach to throw games. That hasn't been investigated, but Calvin Ridley doing an 18 parlay and they got him all out here on front street make it make sense
the hypocrisy of this league. You have an owner who is out here offering to throw games and willing to pay off a coach to throw games that sold the naming rights to his stadium to a casino. That casino now has an app that just popped Calvin Ridley. All under the eyes of a league that has multiple betting partners that gives revenue to all the teams that employ players such as Calvin Ridley. Make it make sense. This gets even deeper if you really want to get into uh, Stephen Ross and what he really wanted to do post Brian Flores, which is bring in Jim Harbaugh. He wanted to bring in Jim Harbaugh because they're both Michigan alums. And then that Flores lawsuit happens, and then he had to switch up and go get Logic. I mean, I mean, he had to go get your man's McDaniels to come in and be the coach because he knew he could no longer have this black man that's fired saying he was fired for racist and systemic reasons, and then you just go hire Mr. Wrangler and Jim Harbaugh. So then he go gets a guy that's just like Jim Hupp. Mm. But he has the DNA that says he's not. Mm. So essentially, they investigated Calvin Ridley in short order once he was flagged by the NFL security algorithm or whatever tracking shit that they have that tracks just for names of players throughout all these betting type of apps. Where's the investigation on Steven Ross? Where is the tanking allegations at right now? No one seems to know anything. Just like when we have Robert Sarver in the NBA, all those allegations, there's been no follow-ups. Did the NBA finish his investigation yet? There were employees, former and current, that were willing to step out there and put their neck on it. Crickets, though. Just like Washington in football. There were past and even a few, less than with Phoenix, but a few current employees that were willing to put their name and their neck on it crickets but Calvin Ridley oh we got him dead to rights Calvin Ridley we going that 1518 we coming for you bro we got you we got you (laughs) and let's keep it rolling with the NFL Uh, did y'all know Jerry Jones had had is the key word in that sentence. Your man's Jerry Jones had his own Ray Donovan. Were you aware that Jerry Jones employed for about three decades, over three decades, 32 years, his own Ray Donovan? And if you're not sure what the Ray Donovan reference is, Ray Donovan was a show on Showtime. It was a great series until maybe the last two seasons and even worse finale movie that they really try to stretch out. That was not that good. I kept falling asleep during it. Um, Ray Donovan is a Hollywood elite or just people that have a lot of wealth and power. He's a fixer. An heiress gets kidnapped and held for ransom. The heiress's dad hits up Ray Donovan. He finds a way covertly to go get the heiress back and 
they don't even have to pay the ransom. You know, some uh, young pop star is drugged up and coked out and no one knows where they're at because they're on like a 96-hour bender like Rodman in the last dance when he went to Vegas. You send in Ray Donovan and that dude can go track down whatever crack house they're in in the middle of nowhere and go pull them out and get them rehabbed and all of that stuff. So, like, the Cowboys had a dude like that. He came from the U when Jimmy Johnson went to Dallas and Jimmy Johnson vouched for him and Jerry brought him on board and he stayed there for 32 years. So for 32 years, the Cowboys have had a Ray Donovan type. So go through what you may think of problematic people that may have been involved with the Dallas Cowboys from a player perspective and imagine now a Ray Donovan dude. So as much as we know about yeah, DeMarcus Ware or Greg Hardy or whoever else you want to go back into, even maybe into the into the 90s and those Cowboys. Imagine now if they had a Ray Donovan. So imagine what we know that's been publicly reported, whether in newspaper or through books like Jeff Perlman, uh, who had a great Dallas Cowboys book that really gives it up about how they were moving. I think it was like the boys will be boys or something like that. I believe that that's that's the name of that one. Um, read that one years ago. Um, so if it's not in one of those two sources, like a newspaper print or a book like that, imagine what we don't know because they had a Ray Donovan. So why am I bringing up the fact that Jerry Jones had employed a Ray Donovan for 32 years? I'm bringing that up because the reason why it's 32 years and not 33 years is because man's was horny. Mans was horny. He got a horny Ray Donovan. So allegedly, and this is all public documentation, a Google search away. In 2016, the Dallas Cowboys settled for 2.4 million, 2.4 million to four former Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Now, why? Did Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys have to fork over 400K each to these cheerleaders with a total amount to 2.4 in a settlement? Well, because Jerry Jones's Ray Donovan used his key card to go through the back door of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders locker room while they were undressing. Super horny. Jerry Jones had a super horny Ray Donovan out here that was on his peeping Tom shit in the Dallas Cowboy Cheater locker room. And he was busted. He was caught allegedly filming and taking pics while the women were undressing. So that happened in 2015. Here's the problem, though, when it comes to Jerry Jones's Ray Donovan. Here's where this is a double-down situation. Prior to that, in that year's draft, on a Dallas Cowboys live stream of their war room on draft day, Jerry Jones's Ray Donovan was caught on the live stream, 
taking upskirt pics of Jerry Jones's daughter. Allegedly. Allegedly. That's a thing that happened. 2.4 million for the former, for four former Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders to go away and sign an NDA and to never speak of this ever again. However, the reason why they actually got the settlement was because during the investigation of their incident, they unearthed this fact that someone posted on Facebook that they caught someone on the live stream of the Dallas Cowboys draft war room taking upskirt pics of Jerry Jones's daughter. And that man turned out to be Jerry Jones's Ray Donovan. So you have Jerry Jones's Ray Donovan taking upskirt pics of the owner's daughter and using his key card to sneak in the back door of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader locker room to take pics and vids on a work phone, allegedly, all alleged. But I mean, the 2.4, the $2.4 million lawsuit is not alleged. That's a fact. Allegedly on a work phone or, or potentially a personal phone of his own, taking pics and vids of four cheerleaders undressing. It's a very long story to get into, but those are the nuts and bolts of it. Caught in the cheerleader locker room, he was reported to security, nothing happened. Now, the Cowboys say they did a full investigation, including taking his work phone and seeing if any pics were there or hidden or if anything was deleted before he gave over the phone. But there is a gap in the timeline of when the cheerleaders reported this incident to when the Cowboys actually spoke to Jerry Jones' Ray Donovan. And this is a man that has been working behind the scenes for, again, 32 years. He's well-known and well-respected around the league in many different circles, from the front office down to the field. And the cheerleaders had to keep cheering, by the way. Because, again, man's just retired earlier this year. He just retired. This happened in 2015. The lawsuit, the settlement happened in 2016. So let's do that math. For another five to six years, this man was employed. And Jerry Jones had knowledge that this man allegedly took upskirt pics of his own daughter. And he let that man cash checks for five to six more years? What does he know? What does he know? What would it take for you to not fire a man who is taking pics upskirt of your daughter? And if that ain't enough, allegedly the dummy did it on a live stream of your draft war room on your own website. Then after that, he goes and sneaks into your cheerleader's locker room and takes pics and vids of them undressing. And he drew a check for five to six more years. What does Jerry Jones's Ray Donovan know 
that we don't. He has to know where all the bodies are buried. He has to know all the skeletons. Has to. But then you look, and again, allegedly, he was out here working the phones to make sure that Jerry Jones got into the Hall of Fame. Now, come on, man. You telling me man's violated your daughter, allegedly, on a live stream on your own website, and multiple commenters claim that they saw it. This isn't a lone wolf theory. This was one man that was co-signed by a few other fans that said, oh, yeah, I saw that, too. Can't find that footage now, magically. The Cowboys have said they went through that footage and they don't know what anyone's talking about. But if you dig deeper into the settlement of the four former cheerleaders as part of the NDA, they can't talk about their particular incident. But it also says you cannot talk about the incident that involves Jerry Jones's daughter. Now, again, words matter. It didn't say the alleged incident, which would treat it like it's just speculation. So they just don't want no conversation around it. It says the incident that involves Jerry Jones's daughter. So it's not alleged. So in this $2.4 million lawsuit that was settled, it's more or less in my eyes confirming the alleged incident by saying it's not alleged. You're going to look past all that just because you want to get in the Hall of Fame? And allegedly, this man was working very hard behind the scenes, talking to media officials, talking to reporters, talking to pundits, trying to curry favor to get Jerry Jones into the Hall of Fame, which he eventually did get in. But is that a trade-off? Is that a trade-off you're willing to make? I mean, without this man's currying a favor, is there a chance Jerry Jones wasn't going to get into the Hall of Fame? I mean, just off the 90s run, he could have made it. But then when you look at everything he's done from a business perspective especially, he warrants consideration for the Hall of Fame. But Jerry, apparently, if we're to believe the chain of events, didn't believe in that so much, didn't believe that he had a chance, so he looked past these events, these transgressions that his own Ray Donovan did all within a span of like six months in 2015 just so he can get it to the Hall of Fame within the last couple of years. I don't know how much of this is true. I know what's been reported. I know what's in the lawsuit. I know what the NDA says. But if you put the tea leaves together, put some lime juice and some honey in it, or some agave if you do that, the tea seems to brew itself. Jerry Jones had a Ray Donovan, and that Ray Donovan knows where all the bodies are buried from the 90s up until now. He's looked past events of this man sneaking into a locker room and photographing cheerleaders that were changing clothes. He's looked past this man taking upskirt pics on a live stream of his own daughter just for the chance to get into the Hall of Fame. Like the NFL by and large, especially at the top, is usually a cesspool. When you look at the Daniel Snyders, 
when you look at what Stephen Ross has shown himself to be, when you look at Jerry Richardson back in the day, Jack Kent Cook, as I'm going to get to later when we get transitioned into basketball and talk about the winning time on HBO, this might be the lowest of the low. This story's not being talked about enough. I know certain networks, the four-letter network being one of them, love to talk about the Dallas Cowboys, but not in this manner. They ain't talking about this. Where's your man's overworked and underpaid now, how to behind the paywall, fresh off assembling his big three, now trying to bring that old feeling back with Mad Dog Russo? Where's your man's Fraud A. Smith? How come he's not sauntering around that first take set wearing a black hat, talking about the Cowboys breaking this down? Oh, it's only good when it's about Dak. It's only good when it's about Zeke. Oh, now let's, let's throw Amari Cooper under the bus. When it comes to the players, he's more than willing to jump out that window and criticize. He's more than willing to jump out that window and squeeze every bit of content out of him. But when it's this, stuff that's on the record that could be verified, crickets. I don't watch ESPN and I don't, I don't watch that shit. So I mentioned Robert Sarver earlier in the pod, uh, and I asked y'all, who got two Billy laying around to go by the Suns when the whole Sarver stuff came out, and it looked like there was going to be a fast track to Donald Sterling man's about the paint? Uh, well, let's, let's increase that number. Who got $3.2 billion laying around? Because Chelsea Football Club, Chelsea FC, is for sale, allegedly, by Roman Abramovich who is a Russian oligarch. And if you need to Google that, or, you know, we don't do that on this show, we, we, we duck, duck, go. If you need to go ahead and duck, duck, go for privacy on what oligarchy means, then go ahead and do that. I'll give you a second. But Roman Abramovich, he's kind of Russian nori. And if you know what nori really means, take out the N and put in the R. Because Roman's a Russian on the run eating. He's been on the run moving around because he has a very shady past. It talks of bribery, loan fraud, uh, climate change, and pop uh, and um, pollution manipulation. Uh, but he, he's worth many bees, though. He's worth many billions, as usually in the case when you have a past that includes bribery, fraud, and climate change manipulation. Uh, but anyway, he owns the majority share of Chelsea. Chelsea being worth $3.2 billion, which is seventh among soccer clubs, and if you bring them over into the U.S., would be in the top 20, they're potentially for sale. And a lot of people are lining up because owning a team and a team at that level, a perennial powerhouse, if not in play, certainly in just in popularity, like Chelsea, when those go for sale, only the dudes whose money is truly long step to the back. 3.2 billy. Who going to go do that? Who going to go get that club? Who would Chelsea say, you know what? This person's bread is long enough. We'll go ahead and sign the deal and do the paperwork and make it happen. Well, there is a name that's been floating around pretty strongly that wants to get in the mix with Chelsea Football Club. And it's not your usual suspects. It's not even Jerry Jones, who I just talked about. It's not Mark Cuban. 
It's not any of the popular names. It's not Alex Rodriguez, who seems to want to be in the mix with everything. It's not even Hove. I'm trying to not throw shots at Hove this episode. Would you like to guess who is trying to be in the mix to go get Chelsea? Well, he owns an NBA team currently. I've already told you it's not Mark Cuban. It's not James Dolan for for you Knicks tape fans either. I could argue, though, that this guy might be worse than James Dolan. And that's why this shit is funny to me. It's your man's Vivek. (laughs) Your man's Vivek from the Kings, the Sacramento Kings. He thinks he can pull up and go trick off and go get Chelsea. If you're a Chelsea fan, (laughs) you better hope Vivek stays as far away from your team as possible. You better hope his money is funny money like the NFL contracts. You better hope, because if Vivek gets his hands on Chelsea, oh my God. (laughs) How soon would they be relegated? How soon would Chelsea be relegated if Vivek becomes the owner? Because look at what the Kings are. The Kings... You're going to let that man potentially own Chelsea? Yo. (laughs) Hey, man, I I respect the audacity of Vivek. Vivek, who owns the Kings, he put in a little bit over half a mil uh, years back. Now they're worth two billion. So the ROI is right where it's supposed to be if you're Vivek. If he can flip owning the Kings and owning Chelsea, Dog, that's a Russell Wilson type flip to where he had that one wife who was, I mean, you can duck, duck, go it. Yeah. And then he flipped that for Sierra. Like, okay, like it would be that type of flip. Vivek going from the Kings to Chelsea would be how Russie went from the first wife to Sierra. Okay. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. That's the type of flip. That's the type of upgrade we're talking about. But Vivek has truly done nothing to warrant such a thing except be rich and be able to pay in and get in and own the team. The Sacramento papers, the Sacramento media and the fan base has been destroying Vivek for about a decade. About a decade. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs since 2006. Right. The Kings haven't made the playoffs since 2006. There's whole ass teenagers walking around that have never seen the Kings in the playoffs. They had Mike Malone. They got him up out of there. He goes to Denver and builds a culture that has fostered an MVP in Jokic. He had, he, he brought George Call old ass out of retirement, crashed and bailed. He tried to go get Vladi Dadi, Vladi Divac, to come back to the crib and hold it down, crashed and burned. Set him to a four-year contract. I think Vladi was out of there in under a year. Then he goes and hands the keys over to Luke Walton, and as soon as he hands the keys to Luke Walton, Luke Walton catches a case kind of like Kobe in Colorado. If that's the man, you would have run in Chelsea FC? <laughs> All right, man. All right, yo. <laughs> hey. Hey, enjoy. Enjoy the championship, man. 
No, 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 not, 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 not Champions League. No, 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 not Champions League. <laughs> Enjoy the championship. On to basketball real quick. Hey, some of y'all hit me up when the Bulls were, um, well, let me just preface it. When your Chicago Bulls, not my, because they haven't been mine for a very long time. I know some of y'all like to think that I'm, some, I'm somehow like hovering, you know, lying in the weeds waiting for the Bulls to get good again, and then I'm going to pop out and like wave that flag again and just put find my D. Rhodes jersey buried back in the depths of my closet and put that back on. No, 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 no. Nah, mm-mm. I'm gone, gone for good. You can't get me back. I'm that ex you can't get back. I'm the one that moved on and moved away, and you can't get back. That's me. Anywho, some of y'all have been trying to get me to talk about the Bulls. And when they hit the number one seed a few weeks back, I think it was uh, just before the All-Star break and maybe a few weeks before the All-Star break, y'all really tried to get at me via text, uh, mentions, whatever, right? And I said the same thing I always say. Listen to me now. Believe me later on. When they made the moves, when they went and got Lonzo, Caruso, DeRozan, I said, that's a cute little squad. It ain't going to do nothing, though. And, oh, Sam's being a hater. He's just being negative. He's like a pessimist. just being contrarian because everyone loved the, move, the moves that the Bulls did. People on TNT and other four of the network were, you know, riding with it. Like, oh, this is a good team. This team could be serious. This team could do damage. And I just sat here like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, okay, if you, if you think so, I know basketball, though, and what I see on that roster and what I see when I watch those games, I don't see a contender. I see a team that can beat bad teams, but I don't see a team that can beat good teams. But I was called a hater for it. I was called being a jaded fan that can't get over what Tibbs did to D. Rose and uh, how they tried to replace Michael Jordan with Ron Mercer and Marcus Pfizer. You know, I, 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 just, I just chalk it up to just knowing basketball. Casuals are casuals for a reason. Casuals don't watch the games like I do. And when I watched the Chicago Bulls, I didn't see a team that I felt had a snowball's chance at hell of doing anything constructive in the Eastern playoffs. So here we are as we're heading down to the stretch run into April and May and the playoffs. The Bulls are no longer the number one seed, but they are the four seed, which is still respectable. But here's the thing. (laughs) The Bulls, excuse me, your Chicago Bulls are 12 and 19 versus teams over 500. So look, that's not great, right? But 12 and 19, and that's fresh off the Sixer loss the other night. So this is like up to date statistics. 12 and 19 versus teams over 500. But again, it's not about that. Sometimes, you know, road trips, three games in four nights, four games in five nights, whatever. You catch a team when they're hot. Shit happens, right? But let's focus in on the top three in the East. So this is your Miami. This is your Milwaukee. And this is your Philly. Your Chicago Bulls against the top three in the East? 
Owen 13. Hey, man. Hey, Owen 13. It gets a top three. Hey, I mean, look, man. I, I don't want to be that guy, but. Talk to him, Odell. Talk to them. Don't talk to the just the Giants fans. Talk to the Browns fans, too. Talk to Baker. And now talk to the people who are hating on me about the Bulls. Your Chicago Bulls. I mean, I told you. Lastly, on this episode of the Sam D podcast, I'm going to get into winning time. Winning time is a show on HBO and it's not getting the hype like last dance did. You know, it's not like the foot of the network that was they had us by the balls dangling 10 hours of Michael Jordan content during a quarantine while we're all, you know, stuck up in the crib with nowhere to go. But this show should be getting that type of press, should be getting that type of clout because it's based off the Showtime book by Jeff Perlman. And if you don't know who Jeff Perlman is, he's done a lot of books. Basically, if you want to know about sports in the 80s and 90s and even into the 2010s, chances are Jeff Perlman has a book about it. And whether it's baseball, basketball, or football, he's covered it. He's got books on Barry Bonds. I referenced him earlier with his book on the Dallas Cowboys. He's got books on the New York Mets and Barry Bonds. And he's got two books on the Lakers. He's got a book like this, Winning Time is based off of, which is Showtime, which covers the 80s Showtime Lakers. And then he has a book that I referenced on the last episode, which is Three Ring Circuits, where he's talking about the Kobe, Shaq, and Phil Jackson Lakers. So when it comes to digging, when it comes to investigative journalism, Jeff Perlman does it. He's a big reason why, as a kid into a teenager growing up, he worked for Sports Illustrated back in the day. And truth be told, that was my dream job. I wanted to be a writer for Sports Illustrated because of the articles that people like Jeff Perlman wrote. Reading those magazines is what, like, created the fervor for me to even read outside of what schools offer me in the first place. So... Being the fact that this book was so good that someone thought this needs to be a TV show. And because I made sure to read this book cover to cover when this show was announced. So I was like, okay, I want to know when, what they really give it up on TV and what stuff they try to like remix and change up and switch up in the first episode, first episode of 10. So we're going to get 10 hours of the Showtime book on HBO. So the fact that it's HBO, you know what that means. They can really go there, okay? So they can really show what really was popping off in the 80s when you were a Laker, all right? All implications are confirmed, right? Whatever you think popped off in the 80s in L.A., in the NBA, as a Laker, it happened, all right? In every sense of the word, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it happened. So being that the show is on HBO, I'm like, this got to be one of those ones. And after the first episode, I'm riding. I'm here for it. It's, it's not euphoria. So if you're looking for some druggy shit, there's going to be drugs in this. And there's going to be sex in this. And there's going to be violence in this. 
it's just going to be a different type of level of it, right? The cinematography might not be as A1 on this as it is on Euphoria, but again, still, you're going to get a lot of dope shit on Winning Time. And you also want to know how I know this is going to be one, one of those ones? Based off early reports, and I guess somehow, some way, he got to view the majority of this series, the Magic Johnson has already said he's going to do his own version. <laughs> and you know what that means? That means he wants to clean up some things. <laughs> that means he ain't happy with some of the shit that they've given up in this series and probably in the Showtime book itself. So Magic's already out here like, no, 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 no. I'm going to go do my own Last Dance version, which is basically going to be a 10-hour Magic Johnson commercial, much like Last Dance was a 10-hour Jordan brand commercial. So, yeah, Magic's already saying like, nah, bro, don't fuck with that. I'm going to do my own version. And that's going to be – that. that's – going along the lines of, an, of another disturbing trend, which is the athlete-branded content and how usually it's just not good because it's sanitized, just like the media version of some of these documentaries or whatever is usually sanitized in their favor. Now the athletes are putting out their own content and it's usually sanitized in their favor. But a book like this that Jeff Perlman did the investigative journalism for, it kind of splits it right down the middle. You're not getting a biased angle from the media side. You're not getting a biased angle from the player side. You're getting the truth, which is rare, which is why whenever he does something, it's a few authors like that. Uh, Howard Bryant is another one. When he comes up with something, I read it immediately because he's another one that pierces that veil and goes straight for the straight for the truth and gives no shits about it. So Jeff Perlman, Showtime, turned into the show winning time and right out the gate they start the series with magic getting hiv like out the gate they go right to 1991 which is essentially the end of showtime that's officially when you want to say showtime died that's when that happened because showtime is magic showtime is magic johnson even though there was kareem abdul-jabbar even though there was james worthy and there was norm nixon and uh you have byron scott and michael cooper and kurt rambis and all these other characters that kind of pop in, pop out. Jamal Wilkes. You know, there's a whole bunch of guys. Bob McAdoo. But at the end of it, the Showtime era begins and ends with magic. So they start the series off with magic learning that he has HIV and the reaction of the people within the clinic of knowing he has HIV. Because, you know, employees talk. Somebody comes in, someone that's high profile like Magic Johnson, if his tests come back positive, that's going to send shockwaves throughout the office. So it starts there, and then it doubles back to the very beginning of Showtime when there was no Showtime. And that goes into Jock, Dr. Jerry Buss. Oh, man. Jerry Buss, who is a very rich man, and I don't know what he likes more. If you read the book and you also get a feel off of him off this first episode, I don't know what he likes more. Women or being famous? It's hard to figure out. He really likes women and he really likes to be famous. So Jerry Buzz is going to become a character and they do a really good job of introducing you to all the major players. So you get Jerry Buzz, who's going to be the owner. And then you have Jerry West, who is the logo. People of my age, we only know him as the logo. 
as a player of a yesteryear, right? I didn't watch Jerry West. I don't know what he played like. I only go off the highlights of what Jerry West was. But he's a logo, and he's also the architect of multiple dynasties. So we hold him in a gentlemanly light. Come to find out, based off this book, based off other books, and by just hearing from what other players of the era have said, Jared West is an asshole. <laughs> and they do a good job depicting how Jerry West is an asshole in this first episode. And the book goes into it greatly. I think Jerry West even has his own book where he talks about his trials and tribulations. But Jerry West is a hater personified. He said Magic Johnson was too tall to play point guard. Too tall. 6'9", can't play point. Your dribble is too high. And while from a logic standpoint, that might make sense. From a foundation standpoint, that might make sense. You saw Magic Johnson play. You know that shit went right out the window. Some guys, they just defy logic. And Magic Johnson is one of those guys. And then you get into the fact of how the Lakers were even, even able to get Magic in the first place. This was a team that was a very good team. And they were still able to be in the mix and tied with the Chicago Bulls to be able to get a pick. Now, it was through a trade. They made a trade. I forget who they made the trade with. But basically, they made a trade for that team's draft pick. That team was trash. And they tied with the Bulls for the worst record. So then it was the Bulls. This is before the draft lottery. Draft lottery didn't exist yet. So it was basically whoever had the worst record. So the Bulls and now the Lakers, who owned that other pick, had the rights to vie for the first-round pick, for the number one overall first-round pick. And they did it by a coin toss. So basically, a coin flip for Magic Johnson. And of course, your Chicago Bulls trick off and call heads when it was tails. Of course. Then you get Norm Nixon. Now, Norm Nixon is a phrase. He, ep- he epitomizes the, f- the phrase that I often repeat on this pod and in my day-to-day life. Norm Nixon, who was a all-star, all-pro point guard before the Lakers drafted Magic and felt it was very much his team as much as it was Kareem's. Norm Nixon, sun don't shine, sun don't shine. If the sun don't shine then sun don't shine. If you know, you know. They did a great job showing Kareem and how Kareem could give a fuck about kids, but how Kareem in his mind felt he was trying to improve his public persona, even though he was telling kids to go fuck off. That was great. And Jack Kent Cook. Jack Kent Cook is a racist. And you know I don't like to throw that word around, especially in this day and age because it's been polarized. And people have treated it like it's the new R word. But Jack Kent Cook was not only just racist, he was misogynistic and he was old money. And we all have seen depictions and have heard stories and testimonials of how old money moves. And if you caught the dialogue of what Jack Kent Cook said when he was meeting with Magic. Dr. Jerry Buss. Now, Jack Kent Cook was the former owner of the Lakers. He was selling the team to Dr. Jerry Buss. So Jack Kent Cook is sitting down with Magic, sitting down with Magic Johnson's pops, and he's sitting down with Dr. Jerry Buss, and they're having dinner. And just the conversations when it came to Magic negotiating his contract, it, he showed his truth. Jack Kent Cook showed his truth. Now, again, 
It may be exaggerated, but the language that was used was known language of Jack Kent Cooke. When he talked about the draft and Magic wanted 600000 and Jack Kent Cooke saying, I'm not paying you no more than four hundred. And Magic's like, well, I'll just go back to college and play another year because I have eligibility. And Jack Kent Cooke says, well, I don't care about that. I'll draft you anyway. You go where you're told. Because that's what the draft does. You go where you're told. And that's why it's archaic and it, and it needs to be outlawed. But y'all fall into the thing of who drafts who and da-da-da. But it really just should be just be free agency. And it should just be you applying for a job where you feel comfortable working at. Anywho, go where you're told. He also called him boy. He also, when speaking of Kareem, did not call him Kareem, called him Lou, as in Lou Alcindor, his birth name. Not the name that he converted to decades before even becoming a Laker. So that's the type of time Jack Kent Cook is on. I don't do the whole spoiler alert thing. Um, yeah, if you didn't watch the episode, I don't think this should encourage you not to watch it it should make you want to watch it so I'm not sure if Magic going to a party with Dr. Jerry Buss at Donald Sterling's crib and playing Norm Nixon one-on-one while Norm Nixon is wearing a fox mink is true (laughs) but it was a great storyline but there was beef there was beef between Magic and Norm Nixon and I'll just say this, because they do a great job of depicting what type of time Norm Nixon was on. Norm Nixon was a tremendous ladies man. And it showed him getting a pedicure, uh, a manning in a petty, and him being surrounded by chicks and, you know, shooting this shit with women at a nail salon and them giving him the business because magic is coming to town and the girls like them some magic off rip. Uh, Norm Nixon, let's just say when magic came out and said, he had HIV, you know there were a lot of women that had to run to the clinic. All I'm going to say is because of cross streams, Norm Nixon might have had to, too. I think it was a great kickoff. It was a great start to what I hope to be is uh, 10 hours of great content. We got nine more episodes after this. I'm looking forward to it, man. I I think it's going to be a great series. We got nine more episodes to go, so nine more hours of content about the 80s Showtime Lakers. It might bleed into the early 90s. You might get some Jordan crossover when Magic played Jordan. So you might get some stuff there. I I don't know how far they're going to take it, but I I think it's going to be really dope. I'm going to talk about it after um, every episode. So let me know if uh, y'all really get into this. We can take it to Twitter spaces. Y'all can hit me on the podcast voicemail and leave me your thoughts on that. Uh, We can really like grow this and integrate Y'all comments into this podcast. So let me know how y'all want to do it. But every week I'm going to be here reporting uh, and recapping those episodes. So, yeah, I'm here for that winning time based off the great book by Jeff Perlman. Showtime. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. Man, feels good to be back. Uh, Sorry, this was a little late. Things got hectic at the gig. Uh, They're about to get hectic again as we get closer to March Madness and that whole deal. But I'll be giving y'all pods. Winning time will definitely help me push to make sure I get pods out to y'all weekly because I'm really into that. So uh, as always, leave me your feedback. Feedback is always greatly appreciated. 
Let me know how I can take this pod to the next level. Uh, comments and suggestions are always appreciated. May not always follow them, but the feedback is always, always appreciated. So, again, I'll holler at y'all next week for the Sandy Podcast. I'm Sam Dusmay Jr. I'm out.